This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, July 11th, the year of our Lord, 2021. This time, two months from now, you and I will be sitting here discussing not even week one. We'll be breaking down week two of college football. That's how close we are. A lot of you have friends you hadn't seen in a little while. A lot of you have family you need to go visit, errands you need to run. You got less than 60 days to do it. That's all I'll tell you. We got a jam-packed show tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Show the other night did incredible numbers, which pales in comparison to what we will do in the season, but still, a lot of you, we would call them P1s in the radio world, which means they're just there all the time. We got a lot of P1s on uh, the entire Late Kick crew here. So thank you so much. Let me tell you what we're talking about tonight because we're going to go all over the country and we got a lot of stuff that is, it'll look like on the surface it's narrowed down to one or two teams, but in reality it's going to affect all of you. There is a situation happening in Texas, but not just the University of. The entire Texas recruiting scene, if you're an Ohio State fan or a Michigan fan or an Alabama fan or a Florida fan or LSU fan, USC, you guys all go in there. Oregon famously has been going into Texas lately. Well, that's kind of what it's about. There are some things that are said and thought about being in Texas, whether you're A&M or Texas, that may not be so true anymore. I'm going to dive into that. It's really interesting, and it may be common sense once I start discussing it. I don't think a lot of people have realized it yet. Also, Brad Crawford did a really good feature. It's still on 247sports.com about the most polarizing teams in 2021, but not necessarily a love or a hate thing, just the teams with the widest discrepancy and expectation level. And there are some out there. An example quickly. Do you know that some preseason publications in college football preview magazine world don't even have Florida listed in the top 25? We will discuss. Speaking of Florida, that LSU-Florida game this year, it's not game preview time yet. I'm not going to be one of those folks who puts out my first edition of a preview on a game, and then I revised the prediction three times before the game. However, I got some broad strokes thoughts on LSU Florida, because sometimes games have a little bit more significance than just one game in the standings in that particular league, and that's one of them that I think will have a ripple effect throughout the SEC, and as a result throughout college football this year. And lastly, um, the whole NIL situation, you know, we've We've kind of skirted around it a little bit here because the numbers on the videos aren't good. You guys don't care so much about it. But there are certain aspects of NIL, some layers to that onion, that you very much do care about. Well, I got one you have to care about tonight because it's about you and NIL. I'm not giving out money necessarily. I would love to be able to, but I'm not giving out money. But it does have to do with players getting money and how you and I look at them and speak about them and how networks cover them as a result. So we got a lot to get to. That's just setting the table. I appreciate our high school coaching staffs watching the show. A lot of them do. I, I correspond with a lot of you guys. Well, the other night, if you were watching on the Thursday show, I said, if you're a high school coach 
and you and your staff are watching. For example, Coach V down in Philomaton, Alabama, they were watching. I said, let me know. Well, you guys did. So we got a backlog of about 50 high school staffs watching the show. So tonight, Coach Amato and staff down in Cocoa Beach High School, Cocoa Beach, Florida, What's up to you guys? Thank you for watching the show. And also Coach Duncan and staff, that's the offensive coordinator at Ravenwood High School, which we could pretty much throw a rock outside of our studio here and hit. It's in Brentwood, Tennessee. It's right across the street from a park that yours truly frequents on the regular. Colin, I hadn't told you about that place. It's a really nice place. So anyway, thank you so much. Our high school staffs always love to hear from you guys. Uh, The best correspondence we get or the most validating correspondence we get is when a high school coach or a college football coach, uh, we've had some pro scouting types, reach out through the DMs or via email, and they tell us they love the show. It is my opinion that if we're structuring the show where it appeals to football men and women who work in the industry, then it appeals to everyone. Because that means the content is smart enough and it transcends any one specific niche. So that's how we try and stack the show. So it's really validating when we hear that. So thank you so much. All right, let's dive in tonight. we got a whole lot of stuff to get to. College football's most polarizing teams in 2021, Brad Crawford, who averages about an article every 15 minutes for 247sports.com, he put out an article, it's a couple of days old now, it's still on 247sports.com though, about the most polarizing teams in 2021. Now what he's talking about here is not you love them, I hate them, I hate them, you love them, not that kind of polarization, although some of these brands do fit that description too. What he's talking about, what we're going to talk about together here, is picking those teams where if you were to line up all the predictions from across the sphere of college football media and fandom, which ones had the widest discrepancy? I got someone ranked eighth. You got that same team unranked. We're looking for those kinds of teams. Well, I got one, two, three, four, five of them here that Brad pointed out, and I got some thoughts on every one of them. So let's start with the Florida Gators. We got some Florida in the show tonight. This is just the beginning. How much do you value the way the 2020 season ended? Because that has a lot to do with for better or for worse, how you're viewing Florida coming into 2021. Now, I've always been a believer that if you're going to reference any one point in a previous season, it should carry equal value to any other point. What I mean by that, for example, is if you want to look back at the Oklahoma bowl game that Florida played in, and you want to say, oh man, I hate Florida this year because of that. Well, I should just as easily be able to pick out the Georgia game from last year. What was it? 44-28? We were just talking about that, Colin. So my point is, you don't, I don't just believe in cherry-picking from one point in a previous season, and I don't really go a whole lot off previous seasons in general because of how much roster and coaching staff turnover their averages out to be in college football. So every year is a new season, way more in college even than the NFL. But the polarization with Florida therein lies because not everyone thinks like that. Everyone's free to have their own opinion. A lot of people's lasting memory and their default setting for how they view Florida in 2021 is the last thing they saw them do. Well, the last thing they saw Florida do was just puttering. Really just the entire team out back behind the station wagon pushing it over the finish line. They ran out of gas. And if that's how you feel, that's okay. I do want to say, and this is my opinion now, I think a lot of people have badly overcorrected for Florida. You may have been sky high on them at various points of last season, and now you get mad because maybe they prove some of your predictions wrong, and so then you take it personal on them in your preseason rankings the next year it's reasonable to expect drop-off with Florida. I'm not saying it's not. But let's be real for just a second. If I were to do the blind resume situation here, and I told you, hey, I got a division winner from the Power 5 level. Uh, They've got two top 10 finishes over the past four years. And oh, by the way, they've got top 10 to top 12 
total talent roster composite per 24-7 sports coming into this year. You're going to get them outside the top 25? That's really where you're going to rank them? No. Florida is not one of the, Florida is rather, one of the 25 best teams in America to enter the season. A lot of folks don't have them ranked there, and I'm telling you, it has a lot to do with the way they ended last season. So history has shown us that that is not the best way, that's not the best gauge to go about measuring teams, but the polarization is there with Florida. Now, up the road a little ways, what would we do? I guess we'd hop on I-95 maybe? I don't know. I'm going to North Carolina. That's where I'm going next. So North Carolina, Mac Brown, you know, Mac Brown has a lot to do with this. There's a lot of love out there for North Carolina, and there should be. We've talked about the Tar Heels a fair amount on this show. So I love North Carolina this year. Uh, there are varying degrees of love. Of course, you rank them top five. You love them a little more than I do. But the polarization is here. There are some people out there who are fully endorsing North Carolina this year that if you really nailed them down, could not tell you anything about North Carolina past Sam Howell, Matt Brown. They think that's all they need to know. Okay, now that's fine. You could end up still being right about him. You got him ranked in the top 10. They may validate every one of your preseason predictions. I don't necessarily know that it's because that entire crowd out there is intimately familiar with North Carolina from a position group by position group standpoint. But then there's the other side of the fence. Since we're talking polarization, there's another group that says, you know, if you're from the South, you're familiar with the term in football that team's a little bit too light in the britches. Well, that is exactly how you would encapsulate the North Carolina Tar Heels football team circa 2020. Really good offense, but they get put on skates when they face bigger, more physical teams like Notre Dame, for example, uh, Clemson, if you come up on them. And that's how you just blindly categorize North Carolina. And if I were to ask that crowd, well, what do you think about Javari Ritzy? What do you think about Miles Murphy? What do you think about Keyshawn Silver? They would say, whomst, whomst. Oops, you don't know those names. Now, granted, they're all young, and they're going to be counted on to play a lot of meaningful downs this year, but my point is North Carolina's defense is going to look a little bit different up front uh, than they did last year, where at times they couldn't stop molasses in December. Doesn't automatically mean they're going to just close the door on the better offenses, more physical fronts that they face this year, but it gives them a better chance. So both sides of the polarized divide between North Carolina uh, pros and cons this year I think there's a little more research that needs to be done. In the Big Ten, no one was talking about Indiana this time last year. We were guilty of that also. Well, they'll be talking about them now. Context is very, very important when you're talking about Indiana. This is not a team that is going to start the season outside the top 25, and people are saying, hey, that's a sneaky, non-ranked team that could end up inside the top 25 at the beginning of the year. That's not how people are painting Indiana. This is going to be a bona fide preseason top 15, easily top 20 team for pretty much everyone. So with that context in mind, yes, there's some polarization around this team because there is one group that's going to look at them and say, Indiana's not supposed to be in this conversation. And then that'll be it. They'll probably be period right there on the end of that sentence. But if they want to go further, they'll say, well, 2020, you know, COVID, that's kind of like saying, well, you know, kids these days with social media, it's kind of, it's ambiguous on purpose. You don't really nail it down. Well, 2020 with COVID and they ambush teams and dot, 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 there's nothing else. And so you're just kind of, you know, your devil's advocating for your own arguments there. Well, that could be the case, or it could be that they were just a really good team last year. If the latter is true, they get a vast majority of those players back. I can assure you if they lose this year, it won't be because Tom Allen allowed his team to wilt under the pressure of expectation. Michael Penix is the big question mark, but see, they don't think he's a question mark in Indiana. I'm referring to the quarterback there. He got hurt, uh, but at the same time, because it's Indiana, 
you don't get an update every single day on the program. It's not the most high-profile team in America. But if you get closer to the program, they, since the spring, have felt really good about Michael Penix. Tom Allen has, has made no bones about the fact that he believes he'll be full go by fall. So again, if Indiana falters, if they fail to live up to expectation this year, I don't think it's because of pressure. I don't think it'll be because of injury at the quarterback position unless something else happens. It may just be because they, they played some good football teams and got beaten. You see the schedule right here. They got to go to Iowa in week one. They got a trip to Penn State. Of course, they got to play Ohio State. They got to go to Michigan, uh, Minnesota. You know, these, even when you rise to the level of a favorite, Indiana's never going to take a raw talent roster into games like this and be able to just throw the helmet out on the field and win. Most teams can't do that even when they do have a superior talent roster. But my point is, execution 12 weeks in a row is hard to achieve in college football. That is probably the biggest detraction that you could throw at Indiana right now. I just don't think they can execute at that high level. Well, I'd listen to that. But all the other stuff about pressure, I don't think it's going to be pressure that undoes that team, even if they are undone. Now we go down south to a team that everyone has an opinion on. Even if you live in Minnesota, even if you live in Washington State, you got an opinion on this team. And it is the Georgia Bulldogs. I think... Now, this is my feeling. You guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong. It is my opinion that the further you get from the South, the more reasonable and level-headed the opinions of Georgia football are. I think if you are an agnostic fan of the Georgia Bulldogs, so you don't care about them one way or the other, they're just another team to you. If you fit that description, chances are you look at Georgia and you say, that's a, that's a really good program. Uh, they recruited a very high level. They're better than 95% of the sport. They certainly haven't topped Alabama. They still have a ways to go to ultimately fulfill what they believe their destiny is. But I don't want to play them this Saturday. That's probably how most of the nation thinks about Georgia. Now, if you get down south, everyone is totally polarized. They either think that this is the year, hashtag dogs on top, or they say overrated, all caps, three exclamation marks on the end. Now, to the overrated all caps crowd, I've always asked which teams is Georgia rated ahead of that they shouldn't be rated ahead of? And I always get into this kind of arbitrary argument of whataboutism, and I never really get told which teams those are. No one rates Georgia above Alabama. They, they really don't. If they know what they're doing, they don't. Uh, they don't rate them above Ohio State. Uh, they have not rated them above Clemson this year because Clemson's going to be favored in the game to start the year. My point is, the teams that Georgia is not better than, there aren't many of them, I don't normally see Georgia rated ahead of. However, here's what you could say if you wanted to play devil's advocate. Well, let me tell you something, JP. I'm going to go a little bit Southern drawl on it. Let me tell you something, JP. You know what Kirby Smart's managed to do? I'm over here now. You know what Kirby Smart's managed to do at least once every year he's been in Athens? Lose as a favorite. And I can't argue it, so what do I do? Well, I shrug. That's what I do. But they haven't had, I'm going to go back to the devil's advocate part A argument, they haven't had what they have this year, which puts a lot of pressure on you. Let's be real. If you walk around saying, well, when we get quarterback figured out, then we'll have everything figured out. Well, that's all well and good. But then the quarterback comes along till there's no more excuse. You have melted the ice totally. And so it's time to either sink or swim quite literally, regardless of what the roster holds for Georgia, regardless of how good they look. The bottom line in the minds of most, and I think this is perfectly reasonable at this point, is no opinion is going to change one way or the other on Georgia until they win a national championship because that's all they have left to accomplish. They've won the conference. They've gone to the playoff. They've won a playoff game. They've played for a national championship. It's a very unique situation. If you think about it, 
I heard, I want to say it was Chuck Oliver, uh, who, who I appear on the show of quite often, but I think it was Chuck Oliver uh, talking the other day about how there's no other program like this in America. Think about it. Any other big program, uh, it, it just insert in the blank. No one else has this situation where the fan base quite literally enters the season in championship or bust mode. I know some others think they are that way, but there are other things that you could accomplish at some other places. But at Georgia, everything else has been accomplished. Maybe you could say this about Ohio State. Uh, Maybe you could say it about Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma, a little bit different, man. Like Oklahoma, from a talent roster standpoint, both sides of the ball, they're only just now being viewed as getting there, getting on par with being able to compete. Georgia's been there. You know, we run that special, we run that article we did at the beginning of last year, the 24-7 sports team talent composite. Well, you know who was number one last year, and you know how it turned out. You know, it was the Stetson Bennett era. So I say all that to say a championship is the only thing that's going to change that polarization at this point. And the last one, we got to go about as far away from Athens, Georgia, and stay in the lower 48 as we can. We're going all the way to Washington. Washington is, I think, uh... I say this a lot. Well, you can only say this about one team. They're one of the most interesting teams in America this year. We already talked about them in this context once. Washington was supposed to play for a Pac-12 championship last year. The COVID thing happened, so Oregon gets inserted. Oregon ends up winning the Pac-12 championship, and that's a big deal. Don't just gloss over that. You get to hang a banner for a game that, in a normal year, you wouldn't even been able to play in. Well, no one's apologizing at Oregon, the point being. So as it relates to this year with Washington, what that has served to do is remove them from the national radar a little bit. I think the win total is nine in a 12-game season, win total being nine. Now, nine's pretty high. If you know anything about the betting market for future totals, that's still pretty high. It's pretty good. That means a lot of it is expected of you. But what if I were to tell you that there is a possibility, a reasonable possibility, that this Washington team could be favored in every game. And if they're a dog, as it stands right now, if you were to simulate all these games right now, there's only one team they'd be a dog to, and that's Oregon. And since that game's at home, that thing would be like a field goal game. And so the reason I'm painting that as the backdrop is because a lot of folks are going to enter the season with Washington not even in the top 20. How often do you see a Power 5 team not rated top 15, much less top 20, that could be favored in every single game, at the very least 11 out of 12 before injury has a chance to happen or anything like that that could change everything, well, that's Oregon, or that's Washington, rather. And the only explanation is the Pac-12 stench. That's it. If I park them in any other conference and they're favored in 11 out of 12 or even 12 out of 12 games, they're automatically in everyone's top 10. But because Jimmy Lake is still an unknown, quarterback situation still kind of an unknown there, and the team overall, the program, as a result of the two things I just said, is still kind of an unknown. Well, Washington is an unknown. And that one's, I know, I know a couple of people have already said this, but I'll echo the sentiment. That's one of the most intriguing teams in the country this year because because they are going to be favored, there's going to be one perception of them. But there's also going to be a whole lot of games, and you were looking at the schedule just a second ago. Just because I say they're going to be favored every game, even if they were, it doesn't mean favored by three touchdowns every game. It's going to be favored by seven, favored by five, favored by eight. So a bunch of losable games still. So Washington's one to keep an eye on. But who did we have? We had Florida, North Carolina, Indiana, Georgia, Washington. Those are some polarizing teams, Mr. Crawford. I will have to agree with that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we wrap that up and we move on uh, to a a topic that I almost wanted to touch on Thursday night, but I pushed it to Sunday uh, because I wanted to do a little more research on it, reading on it, and I wanted to talk to some people. So I've done all three of those, believe it or not. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Texas. Here we go, Colin. Three, two, one. The recruiting landscape in the state of Texas, totally different. It has altered completely over the past 5, 10, 15 years to where there are a lot of perceptions that I think have long been held about residing in the Lone Star State as a program that may not hold true right now. There was a big to-do over the past week about Oregon going into the state of Texas and getting Kelvin Banks. That's a five-star offensive tackle, not from humble Texas, but just from humble Texas. I got corrected. If I got corrected once, I got corrected 550 times on the pronunciation. And the bad part is, I know people from humble Texas. I know an elected official in Humble, Texas, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about college football and the recruiting scene. Boy, it's changed in Texas. So there was this long-held assumption, many of you probably still feel this way, and that is if you're a program, a major program in Texas, you've got this massive advantage. Why? Well, number one, money. If you're Texas or Texas A&M, yeah, you got a lot of money to play with. But the real rubber-meets-the-road advantage that you have if you reside in the Lone Star State is all this recruiting talent. And that's true. And the follow-up to that assumption that's never stated but just implied is you've got the default advantage because all those kids want to stay in state. Do they? At one point in time, they did. This is the rub. This is where the landscape has changed. So that perception, for example, with Steve Sarkeesian being hired at Texas, is, well, he's going to go there. He's going to run a high-octane offense. Oh, and by the way, he's going to have a lot of athletes. Why? Because they're going to virtually have their, they're going to have their pick of all these elite athletes across the state of Texas. And they don't have to lock down the state. It's Texas. They got dozens and dozens and dozens of kids every year. So they only need to sign 25 a year. Like they'll be fine, right? Maybe. But it used to be a reality. It's not so much a reality anymore. And there were several things that happened. Mike Roach over on Horns 24-7 did a great job of kind of breaking this down layer by layer the other day. And I talked to some other scouting types at both the high school and college level in the state of Texas, and they totally echoed the sentiment of what's changed in the state of Texas. And if you don't pay attention to this, it may kind of come as a shock to you. But people on the ground in Texas, they're going to all nod their head because they know that this is real, it's true, it's been happening, and it's not just an overnight thing. I want to take you back because it started to happen even when Tom Herman was at Texas. Mike Roach pointed all this out. You know, Tom Herman landed the number three class back in, I think it was, it was 2018. Herman is at Texas. He lands the number three class. Okay, so that sets up that default talking point until uh, the end of his tenure. Well, he's got all this talent. Why isn't he winning? Well, that was a separate discussion. He did have a lot of talent that he brought in, but that's where the big change started to happen. Herman signs the number three class, but even then, the wheels were in motion. Here's what was happening. Number one, 
Oklahoma was at the tail end of the Stoops era. You had the very beginning of the Lincoln-Riley era, but that recruiting cycle, it was a transition for Oklahoma. So they didn't have their feet under him yet. Texas took advantage. Number two, Texas A&M was at the very tail end of the Kevin Sumlin era. Insert Jimbo Fisher. They don't have their legs under him from a recruiting standpoint. Texas takes advantage. Number three, yeah, Bama was already in the state, and Ohio State was already in Texas too, but you didn't have Clemson out there. You didn't have Oregon to deal with. You didn't have all these other contenders coming in the state, whereas if you just fast forward three more years, it's a shark fest out there. It's crazy, and what's happening is now you've had some transition at Texas a couple of times to where kids that are 17 or 18 years old right now they're not bleeding burn orange from birth quite like they were because they've had a couple of cycles now. You know, think about their life. Their life is only 17 years old. Their cognizant life is only like 11 or 12 years old. Well, what has Texas football been for them? You know, they probably are learning to walk and talk about the time Texas is losing to Bama in that national championship game. And the rest of it, it's very, very up and down, a little more down than up. They remember the Charlie Strong era. They remember the Tom Herman era. And now you've got Steve Sarkeesian in there. And my point is the impression they have of Texas, a little bit different. Maybe even the impression they have of Texas A&M is a little bit different. But now every national contender views Texas the same way they've been viewing Florida. We've talked about this ad nauseum with Florida. Like the, the big three in Florida have long since come to the realization that Alabama's going to live down here, Clemson, Ohio State, all the big boys are going to live down here, and we're just going to have to beat them. They're not going away. No one thought that about Texas until recently, but now they think it about Texas. Like a while ago, Saban made Texas a priority. Obviously, Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day, they've made Texas a priority, but Mario Cristobal... Dabo Swinney, they're all making Texas a priority because they're viewing it the same way they view Florida. Florida has not had its act together from a big three perspective so long that it made the in-state crop of talent vulnerable. And now you look a little bit out west and the same dynamic is in play at Texas. The major programs have not taken care of business for a long enough period of time collectively to where all of a sudden the big boys look out there and say, is that a big fat neon sign that reads open for business in Texas? Let's go out there. It's open for recruiting business. Let's go out there. And they have. And they're having great results now. They could live with Bama and Ohio State coming into Texas and taking the occasional Tony Brown or you know taking the occasional five-star talent. They can't live with Oregon do that. And Oregon just did it. And a uh, little word to the wise, I don't think Oregon's done in the state of Texas this cycle. So you can ellipsis that and will to be continued on that. But there is no rapport like there used to be, is what I'm saying. And this is where a lot of the scouts in and around, especially in East Texas, what they say when you talk to them is they'll say, there used to be some things in the way. Most notably, Texas is a big state. And so it's just much easier, as it is anywhere, to stay closer to home. Well, here's what NIL is doing. In Texas and elsewhere, but especially Texas, if you live in Houston, if you live in Dallas, if you live in Waco, if you live in Tyler to get a little bit smaller geographically. It used to be that it was a nightmare. If you're going to go play at Oregon, do you know what travel expenses are for parents and, and cousins and aunts and uncles to go see you play in Oregon? Well, what they used to be versus what it's going to look like with NIL on the table, a little bit different. So you've removed yet another major hurdle, and all of a sudden, those boundaries, those fences that used to be around the state of Texas from a recruiting standpoint, they're just not there anymore. 
And what has to happen? Well, what has to happen is, first off, you got to accept the reality check. For instance, with Kelvin Banks, Texas, their staff was confident in landing him. And this is a five-star offensive tackle, if you're unfamiliar, that committed to Oregon just in the last week. And they were confident in Austin. Well, they didn't land him. And not only did they not land him, they didn't finish top two, apparently, for him. So one recruit does not make or break a class. But my point is, they're, I think Sark and his staff are realizing it's going to take us a little bit longer. The treadmill is going a little bit faster than we thought it was going when we hopped on it. So, you know, we skinned our chin there, but that's okay. Well, we have the ability to do it here. It's just not going to blow up overnight like we hoped it would. Well, that's okay. I mean, day by day, brick by brick, they can build a winning product and a winning culture there. Uh, they're still in it for a lot of big names. This is not a rain on the parade of Texas recruiting show by any stretch. I think the class will be fine. A&M, same way. Class will be fine. In a lot of ways, A&M's recruiting has improved marginally year over year or incrementally. The point is it's a new ball game in Texas. And so whereas once you used to look out there and think in the Mac Brown days, all right, let's wait for them to pick the players they want, and then we'll see if there's anyone left over we want to go try to get out of Fort Worth or out of, out of Brownsville. That's not the way it is anymore. The game of recruiting has changed in Texas. All right, let's, uh, let's head just a little bit east, I-10, I think is what we would hop on to do this. Let's talk about LSU and Florida. I'm big on interstates, know all the interstates. So LSU and Florida this year play, they play every year. That's no breaking news. The game's going to be important. Yeah, it's a rivalry, so that's not breaking news either. But every now and then, one of these rivalry games that does not need any extra sauce, they don't need any extra storylines, sometimes we get a little extra sauce on it anyway. And LSU-Florida, just a little bit extra sauce this year. I think this game means a little bit more than just, oh, I don't know, one game in the division or conference standings in the SEC. I call them game pluses because the significance level is that of a normal game, and then there's a little bit of plus. So this is a game plus situation this year. I'm going to ask you a question, whether you're watching live, and if you are, we appreciate it, like the video, by the way, or whether you're watching the replay, still like the video, uh, if you will. I want you to answer the question I'm about to ask in a second or less. I'm going to ask you two questions, okay? So just play along with me. Are you confident in the future of LSU football? All right, remember that answer. Second question, are you confident in the future of Florida football? Now, record both answers. I think we got a lot of no's there. Or at the very least, we got a lot of crooked neck, uh, and then the buzzer sounded, and you didn't get it in within a second. If we remove LSU and Florida fans from the equation, and we just talk about, uh, as we call them again, agnostic fans, you don't have a rooting interest either way, but you watch the games because these are big programs, I think we got a lot of no's for varying reasons. Maybe you were turned off by the way Florida ended their year last year, same way with LSU throughout the entire season. Maybe some of the off-the-field rumors have you a little bit concerned. Whatever the case may be, LSU and Florida fans are not stupid. You look at it and you say, oh, look at them, man. They don't even see it. You know, I'm a Tennessee fan or, or I'm an Arkansas fan. I can look at those programs and I can tell choppy waters ahead. Maybe, maybe not. LSU and Florida fans, they're not dumb. It's not like they can't see the past, okay? LSU fans look back at 2020 and they were more than a little aggravated at how things played out. Florida fans, you think they were happy with the way 2020 ended? They see it just like you and I do. The difference is they believe in their heart of hearts that the past is the past and the worst is in the rearview mirror. And the only difference between the pessimist and the LSU and Florida fan on average is the pessimist is going to look and say, you're a little bit too close, you're loving your program to death, and you don't get what history tells you. History tells us 
at least one of y'all is going to be wrong. Maybe both fan bases are going to be wrong, but certainly it's not just going to magically turn around for both of you. Well, that's why we play the games is the point. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to talk about it this year, but the reason I wanted to circle this game is because it's really hard for me to envision both fan bases being right. So I don't know who it is that's going to be wrong. I think someone's going to be wrong. So you couldn't drop this game into a better spot. Again, they play it every year, but I want you to think about the ramifications this year. Think about the uncertainty outside of those programs. And in some cases inside the programs, think about the redemption that could happen for one of these programs using this game as a springboard in all likelihood. But I want you to think about where this falls too. Week seven, in and of itself, is going to be a dynamite week in the SEC. It is October 16th. This game's going to be what everything else revolves around. Florida at LSU. But it headlines, I think, the most underrated week in the SEC. You've got Bama at Mississippi State, and you may think, big deal. Well, Bama's coming off the A&M game. Mississippi State's off a bye. So that gets a little interesting. You've got Kentucky at Georgia, big schedule dynamic situation there. Georgia coming off the Auburn game. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin return to Tennessee. I don't think I need to add anything more there. And also Texas A&M, right after playing Alabama, they go play Missouri on the road. So there are a lot of games that aren't going to grab the national spotlight that are going to be really, really intriguing that week in and of themselves. But then you got this game, in all likelihood, parked at 3.30 in the afternoon on CBS Eastern Time, Florida at LSU. For LSU, where will they be at that point? Because that's all this is about. If they're both undefeated, that's just wonderful, that's great, and no one's season is getting wrecked. Is that likely? I don't think it's likely. It's possible it's not likely. For LSU, you know they open against UCLA. They go to Mississippi State a couple of weeks later. They've also got Auburn in Death Valley, and they go to Kentucky. The reason I list those games is because those are the games they will either be a single-digit or a very small double-digit favorite in. You would call them losable games. Technically, every game's losable. Those are more losable than uh, the other games. So here's where LSU is at this point. They're either blemished or they have started to steamroll teams, and they are firmly in the college football playoff conversation. Now, if they're blemished then this game becomes back against the wall, wounded animal mode. We got to win it because we know that we've still got to play Alabama. So we want that Bama game to mean something. And we cannot be playing Bama already with two conference losses. But if they're undefeated when Florida comes in there, that means quarterback has worked itself out. That means the chemistry in the locker room has worked itself out. That means both of these coordinator hires have been home runs. And all of a sudden, they're probably favored at that point significantly over Florida. And you're asking yourself then, If LSU gets over this last really big hurdle, are we going to see undefeated LSU and undefeated Florida or undefeated Alabama in a couple weeks in Tuscaloosa? That's the talk that would start to happen. If, however, they do have a loss, then it's all of a sudden do or die mode. That's how quickly that game can hinge. But for Florida, it's a little bit different road than it is for LSU. LSU will be favored, I believe, in every game up until they play Florida. Florida will not be favored in every game before they play LSU. And the reason is because Alabama goes into Florida in week three. So they get Bama in there in week three. I don't think that's the game that's going to tell us the most about Florida leading up to this LSU game, though, because they're going to be a two-touchdown underdog at home against Alabama. You lose that game, it's not the end of the world. Now, if they win it, it's an entirely different video. So let's just assume for a second the odds, the chalk holds, and Alabama finds a way to win at Florida Well, if that happens, okay, big deal. Bama's going to beat a lot of really good teams. It's the games versus Tennessee and at Kentucky for Florida that will really tell the tale as to how much this game's going to mean. 
And I don't mention the other games. They play Florida Atlantic and South Florida. If they lose those games, it's also an entirely different video. They lose either one of those, it's, it's outright catastrophe down there. But with the Tennessee game and the Kentucky game, you see the schedule here if you're watching on YouTube. Florida will be between a 14 and a 20, 21 point favorite in both of those games. And how they perform there, maybe coming off a loss against Alabama, tells you everything you need to know this year. Because if they trip up against one of those, then we've got a surefire situation because they're already a two-loss team minimum going into LSU where they will be an underdog and then could be a three-loss team by the time they play Georgia minimum. So obviously things have gone off the rails if that happens. But if they lose to Alabama, but then they pick things up and they beat Tennessee, they beat Kentucky, beat Vanderbilt, all of a sudden you go into LSU, you're a one-loss team and you've got a very manageable situation here. You couldn't ask for anything more. And like we said last week, If Florida finds a way to split the Bama and LSU games and they take care of business the rest of the way, then you see what lies ahead on October 30th. It would mean the East is still on the line in Jacksonville. That's what this LSU game is probably going to mean for Florida. Number one, it means a lot in and of itself because it's a big rivalry game. But number two, in all likelihood, we're finding out if the East will indeed be on the line or if Georgia has some some cushion already built in before they even get on the bus and show up down there. So this is fun, because some of these games just carry a story in and of themselves, but then there are other times where you have all these extra contributing factors of what you're saying or what you're thinking about coaches or teams, what happened last year. You remember this game last year. I wasn't even going to mention this. And then I was out in the, um, whatever we're calling that area out there, the office with Colin before the show, and he said, oh, we're talking about the shoe game tonight. Here's how involved this game is this year. I didn't even think about the shoe throw last year. That's how deep this one goes this year. The shoe throw was like ninth on the list of prioritization of what I wanted to talk about. So you got the shoes and you got everything else. It's going to be a really good game this year. Can't wait. That is week seven. If you want to, go check your helmet grid schedule, week seven. Because even outside of Florida LSU, there's a whole lot to like. And there are games that are not going to be on anyone's preseason top 10 radar of must-see games of the year. But that week seven, just watch out, because that could be one that upends some things in the SEC. All right, lastly, I wanted to hit something that's been a challenge for us. We have talked about NIL. A lot of people have talked about NIL. The big challenge, as I've talked about on Late Kick, is we have to find a way to talk about NIL that's interesting to you, because it's very much a hit-or-miss thing. You don't care just about raw numbers of how much money kids are getting to do this or that. And you don't really care about the ancillary sports media. What's this going to do to the future of the sport deal? But there is something I think you will care about. I think I found it. So let's discuss it. I did a whole lot of radio hits this week from coast to coast. And I got asked a lot about NIL. And the context was normally, just as I said, what is this going to do to college football? Uh, What does it mean now that kids are getting paid? This guy makes this much. Miami's paying kids that much. No, 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 no. I think that matters now. Five years from now is what I want to talk about. Let's just say 2025, four years from now. In 2025, I think a lot of things that matter to people in the immediacy are not going to matter. Perfect example. Right now, it is news anytime we get a dollar figure for Spencer Rattler signing with Raising Canes. Well, right now that matters, but that's because it's new. Down the road, I don't think it'll matter. The endorsement deal just as a concept, is a very much novelty aspect right now. There's a lot of novelty to it. And because there's a lot of novelty to how much money a kid's getting paid to endorse fill-in-the-blank product, it really grabs attention. It's like growing up in the South. I grew up in west-central Georgia. The first time a kid sees snow in the South, it's a life-changing experience. And that's kind of the same novelty aspect 
the same newness that we have all over NIL right now. Oh my goodness, we just got half a foot of snow in Harris County, Georgia. Oh my goodness, there's Bo Nix posing with a bottle of Milo sweet tea. I'm being told Malachi Moore in Alabama, he's also posing with a bottle of Milo sweet tea. Well, you're not going to get excited. It's not going to get clicks five years from now. So that is not the long-term impact of the way you're going to watch college football and view NIL. But I got a really good question in the Late Kick inbox the other day uh, for the Late Kick Extra podcast, but I thought it belonged on the live show. So I wanted to to read it. Well, I'm going to paraphrase it. It was from Thomas, frequent contributor to the show. He said, is NIL going to change the way college football is covered? Now you hear that, and your instinct may be to dismiss it. Oh, that's just another generic question. But no, it's not, if you really think about it for a second, because it doesn't just have to do with CBS or ABC or Fox or ESPN. It has to do with you. It has to do with me, because it's not just how it's covered. I think the proper way to ask this question, the way we're going to talk about it is, how is college football going to be viewed? I am almost legally blind. My contacts are like thicker than this laptop. And so when I go to the optometrist, they have to flip through a number of those you know, special lenses for me to, to read O, Q, P, R. Well, it's hard for me. Um, but the different lenses, that's the whole point. The lens is how I view the letters on the screen. Your lens, it's beautiful thing about college football and fandom, we all get to build our own lens. The way you view the sport may be different than the way I view the sport. I may be fascinated by the construction of stadiums, you couldn't care less what the stadiums are called. All you care about is is the game. Other people care about the color of the uniforms. You don't care, you're colorblind. Well, it's your lens, that's fine. But there is a collective lens that I think is about to change in college football, and that's the way we collectively view college football players and talk about college football players. It's not going to happen overnight. In the media world, I think it's very much going to be a follow-the-leader mentality. So here's what I mean. And here's what Thomas is talking about. Amateurism is going away. I mean, the concept of amateurism was you're playing for love of the jersey, you're playing for the school, you'll make money at the next level in the pros, but college football, you very much play because of, you know, your passion and your drive and your desire and your grit. Well, money has entered the equation now. It doesn't have to ruin the sport for you. It changes your lens, but it doesn't have to ruin the sport for you. But what Thomas is saying is you can't just change that variable, but keep everything else the same. And he's right. Even if he didn't mean that, I'm putting words in his mouth now. He's right. So forget about all the networks for a second. Just you at home on your couch or your 30-yard line season tickets in Austin, Texas or uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. How are you going to view players potentially differently? I think it's going to happen. So now, as I was about to say, from the media side of things, I do not think in 2021, Spencer Rattler and the Oklahoma Sooners players who have signed endorsement deals are going to be treated no different than players from the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think college players are going to be treated like pros overnight, but the dynamic has changed. The dynamic with money in the equation is you do not view those players as amateurs anymore. I think a lot of people are going to view them a lot more like pro players. Now, what does that really mean? What I think it means is it changes how willing you are to criticize a 19-year-old kid publicly. And from a media standpoint, I think it changes what is and isn't off-limits. There used to be, it's imaginary, but there has been for a long time this veil, this protective veil of amateurism, and the things that you would say about a guy on Sunday with no remorse, you would never say about a kid on Saturday. Money's in the equation now. I think a lot of people are going to erode that veil very quickly and say, they're no different. One's younger than the other, but they're really no different. And so if you don't believe that, I just want to toss a few 
theoreticals at you. Let's say the honeymoon period ends, because right now no one's played a game. So everyone's signing for X amount of dollars, it's all well and good, but you haven't seen anyone blow a game yet. So what happens, let's say your star tailback is on the hook for $600,000 worth of endorsements, and he puts the ball on the carpet twice inside the 10-yard line, and you guys lose 26 to 24 Saturday. How are you talking about him? You talking about him the exact same way as if you were playing for that scholarship? I don't think so. I don't think a lot of you are. And I'm talking about us in our world. I'm talking about us as fans, because I get to cross over both sides of the fence here. In our world as fans, not overnight, but eventually I think things are going to change. Also, I'll tell you another thing that I think is going to bear a lot of watching. How do kids get talked about from an injury standpoint? In the pros, the injury list coming out on Tuesday or Wednesday is everything. In college, you don't even get one half the time. Guys don't even suit up on Saturday and you didn't even know about it. Gamblers really love that, by the way. And so what happens all of a sudden when you've heard practice reports that a guy's questionable and then he's in street clothes Saturday? You know, it used to be, oh man, I wish he was playing, but oh well, I guess he's hurt. Well, what happens, you know, when he's making 110K and you can make all that money, but can't suit up to play, does the tenor of your voice and your thought change? Perhaps. Also, and here's where it really is going to rub me the wrong way, because I've already had a problem with this. It's a whole sidebar. It's a whole soapbox for me. We are in preview magazine season now. We are rapidly approaching media days next week already in in Hoover for SEC media days, ACC, Big Ten. It's all coming up. Um, in, in all their infinite wisdom, they put all the media days at the same time. Uh, so the cloning uh, efforts have not worked around here, so I can't go to all of them. But be that as it may, we're in prediction season. You look everywhere, you see a list. We hadn't put any out because I don't like them all that much. But everyone's got a list, and everyone's got rankings, and everyone's got preseason this and that, yada, yada, yada. Now, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but the problem I've always had is there's this huge preseason prediction apparatus, And it doesn't change reality. Like if I take the 19th best quarterback in the country and I rank him number two and he performs at the 19th quarterback level as he should given his ability level, I get to call him overrated. And I get to say he choked. And I get to say he fell well short of expectation. Well, the kid was always the 19th best quarterback. Just because I said he was number two didn't make him capable of anything more. But the entire prediction apparatus operates that way. None of them ever look back and say, I guess my prediction kind of sucked. They look at the person or the team that didn't follow through and fulfill their prediction, and they say, they dropped the ball. What if your prediction was terrible? My point being, now a new excuse has entered the equation. Not only do you get to say about number 19 quarterback over here, oh, he choked, or oh, he's just not focused enough. Now I get to blame NIL on it. Now I get to say, you know, if he was worried half as much about 15 or 20 minutes extra with his receivers at the end of practice as he was locking down that advertising deal with that barbecue joint, maybe he wouldn't be in this situation. You mark my words. You don't have to wait five years for that. That's coming this year. Some kid's going to get criticized this year, probably 15 of them, for not being focused, and the lack of focus is going to be attributed to too much worrying about money off the field. Now, maybe in some cases it's true. I'm just saying a sports writer in Des Moines, Iowa, does not possess the capability to psychologically profile each and every one of those kids. But it's coming. So I think in short, even though this has been like 10 minutes long, I think in short slash long, this is going to start changing the way not only media talk about and cover college football, I think it's going to change the way we talk about it. Now, you can be for it or against it. I'm just telling you I think that's the way it is. Uh, Bruce Hornsby once said it, and boy, he didn't know how right he was. 
I appreciate you watching the show. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. That's all I'll say. Things coming. So make sure you're following there. And the mystery third account that I'm not even promoting yet because we got to get it right. But if you know, you know. Uh, so thank you so much for watching. We'll be back here same time Thursday night. Also, our podcast numbers continue to go through the roof. We're up even more in July so far, and that shouldn't be possible because we were way up in June. Uh, so keep listening because we put out two podcasts per week in addition to the live show replays that you can only get in the podcast feed. We do not put them on YouTube. So if you miss them, they're just gone forever. They're just out there in the podcast feed. And you can listen to this thing on Apple, on Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast. The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Five-star reviews. Very much appreciated. So with that in mind, we got a busy week. Cannot wait for college football season to get here. For Colin, for our entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale, I am Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.